calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This week's story is Destinations of Joy by Alexander Weinstein, narrated by Paul Beamer. This work is copyright 2020. Alexander Weinstein is the author of the short story collections Universal Love and Children of the New World, which was named a notable book of the year by the New York Times, NPR, and Electric Literature. He is a recipient of a Sustainable Arts Foundation Award, and his stories and interviews have appeared in Rolling Stone, World Literature Today, Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and Best American Experimental Writing. He is the director of the Martha's Vineyard Institute of Creative Writing and an associate professor of creative writing at Siena Heights University. So, let's all buckle up. We are going to light speed. Destinations of Joy From the Lost Traveler's Tour Guide Ever since the discovery of the Eighth Continent, We've all had to come to terms with the presence of a landmass we never knew existed. In this age, wherein it often feels like every inch of mountain and valley has been charted, crossed, and geocached, how could we have been blind to a continent floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? We suppose, like the mapmakers of a millennium ago, we were blinded by our self-assured scientists and their navigational tools, and troubling as this may be, more vexing are the suggestions of our quantum physicians who hypothesized that the Eighth Continent was always there, simply a parallel dimension away. By necessity, our tour guide is an evolving work, offering travelers a compass to the wonders and perils of the new continent as we discover them. 
In this extract, your guidebook writers describe the destinations of joy which the continent has provided us, cities and countries almost entirely like ours, with daily rituals and routines as closely aligned to our own as the skin of an onion. In fellowship with all of you who seek joy, we wish you safe travel to these newly charted destinations. The cities of Dunlow and Sunra. It's rare that two cities should share the same squares and markets, schools and museums, or that its citizens should live among one another as neighbors, but the cities of Dunlow and Sunra do precisely that. They are bound together by the same misfortune, differentiated only by the smallest variance. For in Dunlow and Sunra, life has become an endless succession of disappointments and disasters. Every morning, divorcees awake to empty houses, and children scrape their knees on their way to school. Picnics encounter storm clouds. The stock market, which recently was cause for hope, plummets. Cars are stolen, jobs are lost, new love fades, and the shadow of depression stretches from everyone's footsteps. And yet, rare as catching a hummingbird in flight, in these dual cities the sun breaks through the clouds every so often. A man, whose bank account has been overdrawn for months, buys a lottery ticket, and scratching away the small foil numbers, finds match after match. Single men go in to buy a loaf of bread and find their future partners smiling at them. Flowers push their way from the earth along sidewalks, and musicians who've practiced fruitlessly for years find their instruments bringing forth song. It's during these brief moments of joy wherein the two cities diverge. For the citizens of Sunra, aware of their sudden fortune, claim their scratch tickets and splurge on champagne. They invite neighbors to celebrate at backyard parties, which last long into the night, Flowers are plucked, jobs are shirked, and for that brief respite when the gates of happiness are open, the citizens of Sunra celebrate its joys, which, alas, disappear just as quickly as they arrived. The citizens of Dunlow, on the other hand, are a more cautious bunch. From their office windows they watch Sunra's citizens below bicycling in the sunshine and mutter that tomorrow is bound to bring rain. The fortunes they've suddenly acquired are deposited into long-term bonds and they sit solemnly at neighborhood parties watching others get drunk. They know if they fill vases with flowers today their gardens will be barren tomorrow and upon the arrival of new love they remember past heartbreaks and proceed cautiously, doling out small parcels of affection in hopes that their joy will last a bit longer. It's impossible to say which city is preferable. We can only tell you this. The citizens of Sunra, though they find themselves happier for a while, fall much harder when heartbreak strikes. In the morning their bank accounts are empty. Their newfound fortunes squandered, and their budding love affairs have run their fiery courses. Yet, the inhabitants of Dunlow, wiser in their preparations, never seem to enjoy the fortunes they've stowed. 
They find their walkways scattered with wilted petals, and their houses remain empty of the sounds of love. Every day they take bite-sized portions of joy, fearful of the moment when their supply should run out, and in doing so, squander their pleasures just as successfully as their fellow townsmen of Sunra. The Island of Ahoa Let's be honest. Our homelands are filled with too much work and not enough love. There are errands to run. Bills to pay, alarm clocks to set, doctor's appointments to schedule, and we find ourselves in cars, driving to or from some place we really don't want to go. We've spent far too many seasons longing to dance in our kitchens or sleep until noon, rather than crawling from our beds in the dark of morning, our faces crinkled from pillows with a weariness that comes from waiting too long for a vacation. It's for this reason that many travelers seek the island of Ahoa, where we discover the best versions of ourselves. In Ahoa, we're far from the mainland, and our cell phones no longer get reception. It may be this respite which leads visitors to improve their lives. They frequent hotel gyms, enroll in dance classes, and gather on beaches for sunset meditations. Many guests ask the front desk for pen and paper so as to finally embark on the novel they've always wanted to write. Others do nothing more than walk the shoreline, listening to the local fishermen hauling in their catch, the birds chirping overhead, or a child as she toddles toward her parents. Ahoa is the destination we've always dreamed of, and given the abundance of joy we experience on the island, it's curious that as our vacation reaches its end, we find ourselves longing to return home. We've been in bliss far too long, it seems, have marinated in freedom until we're tender. We're on vacation, after all. The real work is in our hometowns, and so we write notes to our post-vacation selves with reminders of how best to live, we create checklists, we make promises to revitalize our jobs and love lives, we Google fitness classes, and upon return, we watch as our lives blossom. We wake earlier, eat better, laugh more frequently, and we make headway on our novels begun in Ahoa. It is, of course, inevitable that as our vacation recedes, so does the newfound self we encountered on that far away island. We barely notice how our shoulders begin to slump as we carry groceries home from the market, or how our inboxes fill with one after another demand. The hotel stationery on which we've written our self-improvement checklist settles to the bottom of a pile of bills, only to be discarded with our junk mail. We watch our gym memberships go to waste, we binge on television shows and we check emails with alarming frequency, and then, one day, with an unacknowledged sigh, we find ourselves back in our cars, rushing to and from all those places where we never wished to go. What we ultimately find is that there are two versions of ourselves. There's the person we are now, with all our bills, dishes, and daily to-do lists, 
And then there's another self, nearly forgotten, who was left behind on the island of Ahoa. We think of that self as we sit at work, daydreaming about the tropical swims as we stare at the snow. In truth, given all the time we spend dreaming about Ahoa, it's fair to say that though we stayed no more than a week on that marvellous island, our other self has spent most of its life there. We can almost see them, tanned and happy, waving to us from the shoreline, as if forever awaiting our return. The Country of Sulgle By now, most travellers have heard of the northern country of Sulgle, which often appears amid our Internet ads. Why, only a few years back, our travel magazines declared the country not merely the best destination to visit, but its citizens as the most loving people on earth. And while such statements may sound like hyperbole, you need only purchase a plane ticket to see the truth for yourself. We recommend flying Sulgle Air with its inexpensive fares and non-stop flights. Unlike its competitors, the airline charges no fees for baggage and offers first-class luxuries for economy prices. Kindly stewards give complimentary drinks. Attendants entertain toddlers and rock-crying infants to sleep. Seats recline into beds for the transoceanic flight. And there are always free headphones and films for entertainment. If any of these amenities cause surprise, it's nothing compared to our arrival. On exiting customs, where we were told humorous jokes, given chocolates and a pat on the back, we reach the entrance hall where a crowd cheers, waving flags and offering welcome. One might think the crowd is there for Sulgle's king and queen, but no. In fact, local commissions have been established for the express purpose of welcoming us and citizens happily take turns as Sulgle's receiving committee. They shake our hands and ask about our flight while helping with our luggage. There are toys for the children, water bottles for our thirst, and theatre tickets are placed in our hands as we climb into hailed cabs. The warmth of Sulgle doesn't end there. It's found in the greetings of the hotel's concierge at restaurants where waiters bring glasses of wine to pair with our meals or put candles in our children's desserts as if celebrating their birthdays. Shopkeepers are as concerned with satisfying our needs as grandparents, and passers-by alert us to unzipped backpacks or rush to help if we stumble and fall. Yes, in Sulgle we're struck by the potential for true human kindness— it must be their debt-free universities where students major in kindness and compassion rather than business and economics. Maybe it's that Sulgle's citizens all receive maternity leave, universal health care, unemployment benefits, subsidized housing, and paid vacations. Or perhaps it's Sulgle's music, whose pop stars sing about generosity rather than fortune and fame. As for those who claim this is an elaborate scheme to attract tourists, note that it's not only travellers who are treated kindly in Sulgle. The sudden news of a neighbour's promotion is cause for a festivity. So is the good luck of an old woman who has found love 
and often one sees courtyard parties in celebration of a couple's romance. Mourning is similarly shared, and the passing of loved ones affects one and all. Work stops, businesses are shuttered, and the bereaved is cared for by neighbors, friends, and family. Perhaps this is why heartbreak doesn't last long in Soulglay. Those grieving a breakup open their windows to find an assembled crowd ready to offer hugs, kisses, and cocoa. It seems impossible that a place like Soulglay can exist or maintain its joy so fully. But indeed it does, and we tourists find ourselves hugged by strangers in a way that even our own families seem incapable of. Your guidebook writers acknowledge this with a kind of awe. It's miraculous that the people of Soulglay should work together so invisibly to produce this collective warmth. Mayors make sure flowers are planted every spring. The baker sends you off with a free roll, and lamplighters ensure the streetlights burn sweet and clear. And though the citizens may seem separate in their daily duties, from opening flower shops to starting steamrollers, every worker who empties a trash bin or signs papers for the city's expansion is working in quiet unison to sustain Soulglay's heart. When our vacation comes to an end and we must leave Soulglay's hospitality, we're surrounded at the airport by the very same shopkeepers, servers, and pedestrians who have come to see us off. They wave their small flags and lift their children onto their shoulders as they watch us go. And we wave back, thinking how, in our darkest moments, we need only recall that there are places such as this, a country where locals are willing to provide us with an extra blanket to keep us warm, to share their rarest bottles of wine, and to pause on a city sidewalk, look at the scribbled directions we extend to them, and say, Of course, my friend, come, it's this way. It must be this tenderness which leads to our increasing dismay upon departing the main terminal. There's never a flight back with Soulglay Air, just the competitor's airline full of crying babies and economy-class peanuts. The airline loses our luggage and customer service agents treat us like whining children. We fight for a cab, the driver curses traffic, and arriving home, our neighbors don't welcome us back, simply carry their garbage to the curb. Soon, the weather changes for the worse. We catch a horrible flu, and our bosses extend brief condolences, but make sure we know we're expected back to work on Monday. Against this steady barrage, our memory of Soulglay sours. Most loving people on earth, ha, we say, certain their joy was phony. There's no way anyone can live with so much kindness, we gripe, and we write blog posts critiquing the dangers of too much love in Soulglay. And soon... We find ourselves cursing the country beneath our breath as we crowd onto buses and push past others on the subway. To hell with Soulglay, we grumble, as we settle into our office cubicles without a single co-worker wishing us good morning. Why, even its restaurants were awful. 
we think, as we eat our lunch? Excuse me, we say to our server, and ask if we could have an extra napkin. Of course, he says, pointing to the counter where they sit. Help yourself. Welcome back. You've been listening to Paul Bamer narrating Destinations of Joy by Alexander Weinstein. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2020 by Lightspeed Magazine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of the rest of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo Award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon at lightspeedmagazine.com support. Lightspeed is sponsored this month by Tor Books. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.